Well, good morning, church. It's good to be with you as we gather together. Uh, before we transition to our time in the Word, I just wanted to give you a couple more announcements. This Friday, we've got our men's breakfast happening at 8 a.m. here, so I want to invite all of our guys to come down. Um, if you've got a friend who you want to invite uh, to bring with you, it's going to be a great time of food and fellowship. We'll have, hear a good word of encouragement. Um, after the work day, we'll, I mean, after the breakfast, we'll also have a work day. And so um, if you want to join us for that, you can join us. And um, Adam Green, he's overseeing that. And so if you want to check with him to see uh, the different kinds of work that we're doing. But whether you come to the work day or not, we're going to have breakfast. And so we want to invite all the guys to come out to eat and have a good time. Also want you to know, uh, beginning in March, we'll have our Next Step classes and so if you want to take your next step uh, in regards to our church and membership and you want to learn more about our vision and our values as a church, the trajectory our church is moving in, you can uh, come to that. The, the first week of March, we're going to talk about membership, our vision, our values. Um, you're just attending to see what it means to be a member here at Twin Rivers. Our second class uh, during the second week of March uh, is going to be on Christian essentials. What does it look like to lay the foundations in regards to exercising spiritual disciplines? The third week of March we'll be talking about our purpose and the unique spiritual gifts that God has given us. And then the final week will be teams and uh, so whether you're a member or you're not a member, all those classes are opportunities for you to come out, and so we want to invite you for that, uh, and that begins in March uh, during those Sunday morning hours, 8.30, uh, and then following before service. And so as we continue our worship in the Word, can we take a moment to bow in prayer? Uh, Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for just this time of worship that we can sing hallelujah and praise your name, Lord, together. Uh, united in worship, uh, Lord. We thank you, Father, for um, just your word. As we get to transition to it, we pray, Lord, that you'd guide and direct our thoughts and our minds towards you. Lord, we pray your word would be like a seed that's planted and bears fruit unto righteousness. So, Father, this morning, our prayer is that what we know not teach us, what we have not give us, and who we are not in Christ, that you would make us, and we ask it all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, when I was growing up, my pastor used to tell a story about a, about a captain on a ship. And one night he was traveling through the darkness of the night and ahead he could see a, a light in the distance. Immediately he sent a message over their way saying, uh, uh, alter your course 10 degrees south. He immediately received a message back saying, alter your course 10 degrees north. Well, you could imagine the captain, he was a bit upset. Who is this guy telling him to alter his course? And so he sent another message and said, alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a captain. Well, he received a message back not too long after saying, alter your course 10 degrees north. I'm a seaman, third class Jones. Well, the captain, he sent him one final message. He said, alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a battleship. He received a message back that said, alter your course 10 degrees north, I am a lighthouse. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I like that story because it reminds us of something. It reminds us of our relationship with the Lord, that the Lord Jesus is our lighthouse. He's the one who guides, directs, and alters the course of our lives in all areas of our lives. He is the one we've been called to submit to. And what I want to begin talking about this morning and in the weeks ahead is how God has called us, each of us as believers, to a life of submission. 
As we, are, as we are going to continue through the letter of 1 Peter this morning, what we're going to be reminded of is not only are we called to submit to the Lord Jesus in all things, we've also been called to submit to the authorities that he has appointed. And so I'd invite you to 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll be in verses 13 to 17 together. And we're going to be taking some time to talk about how we are instructed to submit to governing authorities. You know, as you make your way there in your Bibles, uh, Peter has already reminded us of our identity in Christ. Throughout chapter 1 into chapter 2, and if we were to go back to verses 4 to 10, Peter reminded us that we are in a relationship with the living stone who is Jesus Christ. And as we are in relationship with him who is described as the living stone, we are described as living stones as well, built upon the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. To be a living stone connected to Christ means that we have the resurrection life of Christ in us. And so the same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that resides in us and allows us to live the Christian life. That allows us to live a life of submission, not just to the Lord Jesus, but to the authorities that he has appointed. And so as we take a look at our text, how are we instructed to submit to governing authorities? Would you stand in honor of the reading of the word, chapter 2, beginning in verse 13 and following. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. The word of the Lord, you all may be seated in the presence of God this morning. This morning, we're going to ask and answer a simple question. How are we instructed to submit to governing authorities, to submit to every ordinance of man as the text encourages us? Now, as we walk through our text, we're going to allow the scriptures to guide our conversation together. But uh, even as we talk about this subject and as I, as I read the text to you, I know that there are some questions and concerns on your mind as we talk about this subject. I know that there are questions and concerns on your mind because as I've read the text this morning and I've been in the study of it, I've had questions and concerns on my mind too. It's interesting and it's encouraging to note that those whom Peter is writing to also most likely had concerns and questions that you have on their minds. You see, these were believers who were not facing the best times. They were under persecution the emperor during the time in which Peter is writing them is Emperor Nero. And if there was a man who mistreated Christians and who uh, dealt with them brutally, it was this emperor. And history tells us things are not going to get better for these believers and these Christians after this is written. Things are going to get progressively worse. And some of the questions on their minds and the concerns that they had are similar to ours. Questions like, what do you mean by submission? When you say submission, what is the extent of submission? Are you talking about blind obedience when you're talking about submitting to these governing authorities? Uh, is there a, if, if, if all authority is given by God, is there a limit to the, to the exercise of that power and that authority? 
Now, those are questions we're going to get to. Those are concerns we're going to talk about. But as we walk through our text, we're just going to allow the text to guide our conversation as we confront some of the concerns that you have and the concerns that those whom Peter is writing to had. So how are we instructed to submit to governing authorities? The first thing we're invited to do is to understand the command we're given in verses 13 to 14. Understand the command we're given. First, we're invited to understand the context of the command. The text begins and says, Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. First word in that sentence is therefore. The word therefore invites us to consider the context that connects us back to the previous two verses, verses 11 to 12. And what we learned back in verse 11 is Peter reminded us as believers we are pilgrims and sojourners. In other words, we are temporary residents here in this world and we're on a journey just passing through. In other words, as temporary residents, we are heavenly citizens, but as heavenly citizens, we have earthly responsibilities. And one of our earthly responsibilities, according to verse 12 in our text, is that we are called to be a testimony to unbelievers around us. And so the manner in which we are called to be test, to testify of who Jesus is before an unbelieving world, knowing that we are heavenly citizens with earthly responsibilities, is by means of submitting to governing authorities. In other words, how we relate to those in positions of authority within the government ultimately reflects on our faith in Jesus and is a testimony before a lost world around us. And so this is a good recommendation for us as believers. If, if uh, you're a Christian and you're driving in your car and uh, perhaps you've got a Twin River sticker on the back of it, or you find yourself with uh, one of those fishes on the back showing that you are a Christian, don't go 100 miles an hour down the road. How you relate to governing authorities and how you submit to the laws of the land ultimately reflect on your faith. And we don't want to give people a reason not to believe in Jesus. We want to give people every reason to believe in Jesus. And so first we're introduced to the context. We're reminded that this command is motivated by our testimony before a lost world. We are heavenly citizens with earthly responsibilities. Secondly, we go into the content of the command. Therefore was the context. The content is submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. Uh, submission, if I could define it for you, is about three things. Submission is about order. Submission is about honor. Submission is about obedience. But first, submission is about order. Uh, the word for submit comes from the Greek upatasso. It means literally to align yourself under uh, a higher rank. It's a military term. And so when we're talking about submission, we're talking about aligning ourselves under another individual. And so when it comes to submitting to governing authorities, what we're reminded of is that God has designed the relationship between citizens and governing authorities to be that of submission. Whether you realize it or not, government is God's idea. And government is created by God and serves a unique purpose of God that we're going to talk about in a moment to punish evil and to um, commend that which is good. But government does have a purpose. It doesn't mean government is always functioning in their purpose, but according to God's design, that's the purpose for which it was given. 
And so we're reminded that when it comes to submission, it's, re, it's, it's respecting God's order that he has said in regards to the relationship between citizens and those who are governing authorities, we are to submit to them. So it's about order. Secondly, it's about honor. It's about honor. Uh, what we're told in scripture is that authorities have been appointed by God and therefore we should honor those who are in those positions of authority. Now, you may not like or respect the decisions that those in those governing offices make or those in those positions of authority make, but we as Christians and as believers are called to honor the position. Uh, texts that remind us that we need to honor is Romans 13, 1. Let every soul be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. So we honor them because they're appointed by God. In Daniel 2.21 we read, and he changes the times and the seasons, speaking of God. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Uh, recognize the sovereignty of God over government and governing officials. All authority is appointed by God. Not all authority is godly, but all authority is appointed by him and they will give an account before him. Proverbs 21.1 reminds us the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord like the rivers of water. He turns it whatever way he wishes. And so we need to honor them. And one of the ways we honor governing officials is by praying for them. Why do we pray for them? Because we believe that God has the final authority and God has the ability to sway their hearts in one direction or another. And so we honor them and we pray for them. In 1 Samuel 26, uh, David's a good example of this in relationship to King Saul. Uh, if you know the story, David was anointed the next king of Israel. Saul was the first. But it's interesting to note how David uh, 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 talks about Saul. He talks about Saul as the anointed of the Lord. And yet this man, Saul, is going about trying to kill David. Uh, if you want to talk about someone who's corrupt and cruel, Saul's a good example of that. And yet in 1 Samuel chapter 26, verse 9, David says this, But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David said, Furthermore, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall go out to battle and perish. His day will come if it comes. The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed, but please take now the spear and the jug of water that are on his head and let us go. David refers to Saul as the anointed of the Lord. He honors him even though he's not necessarily deserving of honor. What we're reminded of in our text is that we are to honor those that we submit to as governing authorities. It's about order, it's about honor. But thirdly, it's about obedience. When we say submit to governing authorities, ultimately that results in obedience to the laws of the land. And so the norm should be that of obedience, should be that of honor, should be that of order as we submit ourselves to governing authorities. Well, there's the question on our mind, right? You just said we're to obey governing authorities. Is there ever a limit to that obedience? Are we to, to just, just obey blindly? Well, let me tell you what Peter is saying and then what Paul says also in, in Romans chapter 13. He wants to put the emphasis not on the exception. He wants to put the emphasis on the general rule because we're quick to go to the exception. Uh, 
We're quick to say, hey, when can I rebel? When can I participate in civil disobedience? Peter and Paul, when they're talking through this text, they're saying your focus should be as much as possible to participate in civil obedience as much as possible. Are there exceptions? Yes. And we can talk about those. There is an exception whenever we're asked to do that which is contrary to the will of God and the word of God. If ever a governing authority or a law asks you to do what is contrary to the will of God or to the word of God, those are times when we can participate in civil disobedience. But when we do, we should do so while still honoring those who are in those positions of authority. Now, let me give you some examples. Daniel chapter 3, verses 14 to 18 We know Daniel and his friends, uh, while they're in a land that is not their home, they're in a pagan land, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king, he makes this gold statue and says, everybody bow down and worship this statue. And what Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego say, no, not us. They participate in civil disobedience because they are asked to worship that which is not the one true God. Daniel 3 verse 14 says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. 18, but if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Are there exceptions? Yes. And when we're asked to worship that which is not the one true God, that's when we participate in civil disobedience. Another example example is in Daniel chapter 6. Daniel uh, goes about praying on a regular basis, a few times a day, and he does so in the window. And he's commanded, along with everybody else, no one's to pray to their God. And Daniel does what he usually does. In Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, it says, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home, and in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, um, as was his custom since his early days. You know, you think about Daniel, you're like, Daniel, why'd you have to do it in the window, right? (laughs) Couldn't you do it in the privacy of a, a secret room somewhere? Well, Daniel, he participates in civil disobedience because he knows as a follower of Yahweh, the one true God, he is going to pray. He is going to worship the one true God. Acts chapter 5 is a good example in the New Testament. As Peter and the apostles are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and the authorities come to them and say, you stop preaching. Here's what they have to say in Acts chapter 5 verse 27. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest asked them saying, did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend, intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than man. Are there times when we are to participate in civil disobedience? Yes, but the general rule is as much as possible we would be walking in civil obedience. Why? Because submission is about order. The order that God has set Submission is about honor, honoring those that God has appointed in those positions of authority. As we submit to God, we submit to the authorities that he has appointed. And submission is about obedience. Not blind obedience, but certainly obedience. Now, you may feel at times that taxes are excessive. (laughs) 
But that does not tell us that we cannot, we shouldn't pay our taxes. That doesn't say we shouldn't report to the government how much money we make. We are as much as possible to obey governing authority. So the content of the command, submit, then it says yourselves to every ordinance of man. Uh, So the content of the command, we talk about submission, but then it says yourselves. What we're reminded of here is that submission is not forced for us as believers, Submission is voluntary. Notice the command, the imperative, submit yourselves. Don't wait to submit when you're forced. You submit while you still have the ability to do so. So the reason we submit as believers is not because we have to. We submit as believers because we want to. What would motivate us to submit to governing authorities even when, they find themselves, when we find them to be corrupt and cruel is because we do it unto the Lord, as we'll see in a moment, for the Lord's sake. So what we're reminded of here is it's voluntary, it's not forced. And so submit yourselves to what? To every ordinance of man. Ordinance there is just an institution of man. We're not just talking about every law of man. We're talking about the institutions and authorities that God has appointed who make those laws and pass on those laws. In a moment, we'll talk about the purpose of government when we talk about the details of the command to punish evil, to commend and praise good deeds. But here we are reminded of the fact that we are to submit to every ordinance of Man, that's the content of the command. Submit. And then thirdly, we, as we continue on, we see the reason for the command. It says in verse 13, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for what? For the Lord's sake. So that's a helpful reminder to know we are not talking about blind obedience. We're not saying you obey every single law that you hear about, but we're to do it as unto the Lord for the Lord's sake. We talked about submission. Submission is threefold. It's about order. It's about honor. It's about obedience. And so as we submit to the Lord Jesus Christ in all things in regards to the order that has been set, we also submit to the authorities that he has appointed for the Lord's sake. As we honor the Lord in all things and give him glory and honor and power, and we, and we, we elevate him in our lives and say, God, whatever you say goes Wherever you lead me, I'm going to follow. As we honor the Lord for the Lord's sake, we also honor governing authorities. He is our focus. And as we obey the Lord, we also obey governing authorities as well. Who is the ultimate authority? Not government, it's God. We're not obeying government for the sake of government's sake, but for the Lord's sake. And we continue on, we see the details of the command as we get a better understanding of the command. And it tells us uh, which ordinances of man we are to submit to. Every ordinance of man, verse 13 continues and says, um, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as those who have been sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. So we're reminded of the details here, the king as supreme or two governors. Uh, This is helpful for us because we can apply it practically. And so when it says submitting to governing authorities or every ordinance of man, we're talking about federal laws we are to obey. 
So generally speaking, when it comes to federal laws, we should obey them and the laws that come down. Now, we, have, we don't have a king, we have a president. Today's age, you have prime ministers, you have presidents. Nevertheless, we're talking about the same authorities that have been appointed by God, whether on the federal level or the local level or the, uh, or the state level. We're told uh, governors and these individuals, we are to um, submit to them uh, as we obey the laws that we've been given. And then, of course, within the details is the purpose, which we've already alluded to, to punish evil and to encourage those who do good by praising goodness. So what, what's the purpose for governing authorities? What's the purpose of government? The purpose of government is to deter evil. When there is a punishment for a particular crime, we're less likely to commit the crime. Now, I don't know about you, but when I, I've gotten a ticket once before, and I still remember you driving down the road, sometimes you're not paying attention to your speedometer, and as you're heading down the road, cruising down the road, you know, you're 16 years old, you got a, you get a license for the first time, you're enjoying yourself, and you're cruising down the road, and you don't really, you're trying to go with the flow of traffic, but things are going, sometimes you're in a hurry, and then you get pulled over that first time. Oh boy, you feel that, right? I mean, your stomach, your heart drops into your stomach, and the officer comes to your door, and, and you're hoping, Lord, you're going to have to help me here. Lord, please let him just give me a warning. The first time you ever get a ticket, can I tell you, the next time you're driving down the road, you're checking your speedometer. <laughs> you're making sure you're obeying the law. And so one of the purposes of government is to punish evil. And it causes us to be deterred from doing and participating in evil. In Judges chapter 21, verse 25, you know, some of the saddest scriptures in all of the Bible, it says this, in those days there was no king in Israel. Now, God was supposed to be their king, but they've rejected God as their king, and they're looking for an earthly king. But it says, in those days there was no king in Israel, Judges 21, 25, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. What a sad reality that is. When there is nobody in that position of authority who's punishing evil and commending good and therefore anarchy breaks out. People do what is right in their own eyes. Government has a purpose. Does government always fulfill their, fulfill their purpose? Not always, but that's the purpose for which they have been designed and God will hold them accountable. Both those individuals who are in those positions of authority um, as they go about their business. Thomas Jefferson once said this, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just, that his justice cannot sleep forever. It's a reminder, government serves a purpose to punish evil and to commend what is good. So sometimes you'll see the president or you'll see a mayor locally commend individuals who are good citizens. And as they commend them, that's part of their purpose to deter evil and to commend that which is good so people will live a life set apart as they should as good citizens because that's the purpose for which God has created them. And so what we get to see in verses 13 to 14 is, is a better understanding of the command. Talks about the context, the content, the, the motivation for it, the Lord's sake, and then the details of it. We see the purpose of government, that God has designed it to commend good and to punish evil. 
So what's our takeaways this morning as we better understand this command? The first one is this. Give others a reason to trust in Jesus and how you relate to governing authorities. How you relate to governing authorities is a testimony of your faith before a lost world around you. So when you're cruising in the car with your unbelieving friend or your unbelieving family member or your unbelieving coworker, make sure you you wear your seatbelt, right? Make sure you're not speeding down the road. Make sure you're, you're demonstrating what it looks like to live a life set apart to the Lord and submit to governing authorities. How we talk about governing authorities, even those who are corrupt and cruel, reflects on our faith. And so you may not like the decisions that are being made. You may not like the person who is in that position of authority, but we are still called to be a good testimony. And you may not like them, and you may want to complain about them, and you may become downright cynical, but you're still called to pray for them. What a great example before a lost world around us to say, I don't like the decisions they're making. (laughs) I don't like the person in general. I don't think they're the right person for the job, but I'm praying for them. I'm praying for their salvation. I'm praying for the Lord's guidance. I recognize that God has positioned them in that place of authority, and so I'm gonna pray for them that God would guide and direct them in their decisions and surround them with the right people who need to be in their circle. And so give others a reason to trust in Jesus how you relate to governing authority. Secondly, submit to governing authorities as a general rule. How do you do that? I would say three things. If I could talk practically with you, uh, it would be be informed. If you're going to pray for your governing authorities, we have to be informed on some level. Um, To be informed means that we know who our governing authorities are. Can I tell you, I don't always do the best job of this myself. And so our president, you've got Joe Biden. We just got a new governor, Tina Kotek. Our mayor here, In Springfield is Sean Van Gordon. In Eugene, you got Lucy Vinus, if I said that correctly. But it's helpful to at least to know their names. And as you know their names, to pray for those who are in positions of authority. Consider who our senators are and our congressmen are. And so as we consider who they are, we are called to stay informed. Not only are we called to be informed, we're called to pray and obey. As we pray for them, as much as possible, we submit to the authorities that are over us. And so we're called to submit to governing authorities as a general rule. Thirdly, uh, participate in civil disobedience when required. So as a general rule, submit to governing authorities, but when required, participate in civil disobedience. How do you do that? What does it practically look like? Because this is where our text becomes pretty relevant. When Peter writes to these believers, things are not going to get better for them. They're going to get progressively worse. And so the questions of when and how to civilly disobey is going to need to be considered. So if I could give us some practical steps, the first one is make sure God's word is clear on the matter. If you're going to participate in civil disobedience, make sure God's word is clear on it. Now, when you struggle, because some of there's gray areas, right? What do I do? If the Lord tells us to pray and government says don't pray, we should still pray. If government says don't worship, 
we're called to worship. What happens when government says, don't gather? We're called to gather. Do not forsake the gathering of yourselves together as is the, the manner of some. But what if it gets a little bit dicey and you say, how do I move forward? When it's not exactly clear, take time to pray. Take time to consult God's word. Take time to consult God's people. And as you take that time, you will be able to discern whether God has called you to walk in civil disobedience or civil obedience. But even as you do, you still do so in an honorable way. Secondly, don't just check God's word and make sure it's clear on it. Secondly, pursue a clear conscience before God. If you're going to walk in civil disobedience, make sure your conscience is clear. If you're going to obey governing authorities, make sure your conscience is clear as well. We are to have a clear conscience. Now, obviously, God's word trumps it all, but God calls us to have a, a clear conscience and to listen accordingly. Thirdly, do so respectfully. And then fourthly, be willing to pay the consequences. Do you remember when we were talking about Daniel and his friends? Uh, they say, you know, we're not going to obey you. And even if, and the Lord will rescue us, but even if he doesn't rescue us, we will not listen to you. No, if you're going to participate in civil disobedience, there are consequences, and we pay those consequences as Christians. And so as things get a little bit more tense as in the future, we should consider when's the time to walk in obedience civilly, and when's the time to walk in civil disobedience. And then fourthly, if I could give you one more consideration, consider... Serving in the government. You know, we have a tendency as believers to become critical and cynical when we watch the news, when we hear what's going on in our school systems. We get critical and cynical, but what a great blessing might it be for a believer, a Christian, a follower of Jesus, who is one of the people who are on the school board. What a blessing, what an opportunity might it be if we had some believers or Christians who are, who are some senators or congressmen or, or the next president of the United States. What an interesting thing to note that you've got guys like Daniel or Joseph who worked for the government and were believers who were followers of the one true God. Consider if God might be calling you in that direction. We need more Christians in the marketplace of ideas within politics. Is that a scary place to be? I'm sure it is. But what better place to have an impact for the gospel of Christ if God has called you to serve in those positions? And so how are we instructed to, to obey the command, to submit to governing authorities? First, understand the command. Secondly, understand God's purpose in giving the command. Verses 15 to 16. Verse 15 tells us, for this is the will of God. The purpose in giving this command is in order that we might understand and know the will of God. I don't know about you, but I'm always wondering, what is God's will? You know, People ask all this, what's God's will for my life? Should I get married? Should I not? Should I move? Should I not? Should I, should I stay in Oregon? Should I leave? And the Lord says here, God's will is that you obey the speed limit. <laughs> God's will is that you pay your taxes. God's will is that you submit to governing authorities as much as possible so that you are a good testimony before a lost world around you. So what is God's will for your life and mine that we submit to governing authorities as much as possible? 
Are there exceptions? Yeah, you do those when you have them. But in general rule, it's the will of God. And so first, the purpose in giving the command is so that we would know the will of God. Secondly, the purpose in giving the command is so that we would make it difficult for people to accuse us of evil as much as possible. The text reads this way, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. What are we talking about the ignorance of foolish men? Well, in general, as Christians and as believers, those who are foreigners, you know, pilgrims and and sojourners in this world, we are in the world, but we are not of the world. And you know how foreigners are sometimes treated. Some people look at foreigners and they're, uh, they're prone to criticism. And so they look at Christians who have a different value system than that of the world. And you better believe the world around us happens to be a bit more critical. You have to feel for these believers in the first century because Christianity was just starting, right? This was a new uh, group of people that have formed. And so there are many rumors going around about who these Christians are. You know what some of the rumors were in the first century about believers? One of them was that they were atheists, that doesn't make any sense. They believe in one God. Yeah, that was the problem. They believed in one God, but not the rest. And so there was a rumor going around. These Christians, they're a bunch of atheists. Secondly, the rumor was that these Christians were cannibals. You know, they eat the, the, the body of Christ and they drink the blood of Christ. Those Christians are weird. So they were known as cannibals. And also they were known as incestuous. These rumors were going around because they turned to their husband or their wife and say, this is my brother so-and-so. This is sister so-and-so. Nasty. They marry each other as brothers and sisters. This is actually what the rumors were going around. Today, when you talk about Christians, you hear, you hear how we're talked about in different circles, bigots, you know, closed-minded individuals. You know, they, they, they're just pursuing this ideology and power and all the rest. When the reality is, how do we make it difficult for people to speak evil of us by means of submitting to governing authorities? What we end up doing is we, the literal word here is to silence them is to muzzle them. They see your good deeds. They see how you submit to governing authorities. And they then are more prone to say, I'm going to think twice about who these people are and the God they worship and the God that they serve. Make it difficult for people to speak evil of you by submitting to governing authorities as much as possible. And then thirdly, the purpose for why this instruction is given in verse 16 is in order that we might exercise our freedoms to do what is right. Verse 16 puts it this way, as free yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as a bondservant of God. Now some of these Christians might think to themselves, as we might, okay, Jesus is my Lord, he is my king, he's the one I worship and I serve, and so I don't have any earthly responsibility to these governing authorities on earth. The Bible says, no, 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 that's not how it works. As you submit to the Lord, you submit to the governing authorities around you. And your heavenly responsibility in light of your earthly, your heavenly citizenship in light of your earthly responsibility is to submit to governing authorities. And so we're reminded that freedom is not the freedom to do whatever we want, whenever we want. Freedom is the right to do what is right. So consider that in light of the nation we live in. Are we free to do whatever we want? We're not free to break the law. 
We're not free to go out and take somebody's life. We're not free to steal that which does not belong to us. No, we have the freedom and we enjoy the freedom to do what is right. And as Christians and as believers, we have been granted the freedom and we exercise that freedom by doing what is right, recognizing we are slaves of Jesus Christ. (coughs) And as slaves of, (coughs) of Jesus Christ, we have the right to do what is right. And so we get to see that helpful reminder. Now, um, and so we see the reason for the command, uh, or the, um, as we understand the purpose for the command. If I could give you one takeaway, it would be this. Lead others to Christ by making it difficult for, the, uh, difficult for them to accuse you of evil. Lead other people to Christ by making it difficult for them to accuse you of evil. How do you do that? You do that by paying your taxes. You do that by submitting to governing authorities. You do that by obeying the law and doing the speed limit. You do that by praying for those who are in positions of authority and power. It's quite simple. You pray for those, you submit to them, and you honor God in all things. And so we see the, the, the purpose, understanding the purpose behind the command. And then thirdly, in verse 17, understand how to apply the command. Verse 17 gives us four imperatives, four final commands that really sum up the text for us. And it puts it this way, verse 17. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. So it begins with honor all people, then ends with honor the king. First, we are called to honor all people. What does it look like to live as a good citizen? What does it look like to recognize the fact that we, are, we have heavenly citizenship and therefore earthly responsibilities? That earthly responsibility we've been given is to honor all people. That means people we don't like and people we like. People who are corrupt and cruel and those who are not, we're called to honor all people as those who were created in the image of God. Now that image has been defaced by the fall, but that image has still been preserved and it can be fully restored through a personal relationship with Jesus. And so we honor all people. Treat people like you would like to be treated. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you give yourself food when you're hungry, feed your neighbor when they're hungry. If you find yourself without a car and so you get in your car and drive somewhere, if your neighbor needs that, give it to them. Honor all people. Secondly, our text says, not just honor all people, but we have a special relationship with the people of God. Love the brotherhood. How will you know that we are the disciples of Jesus? The Bible says in John, by our love one for another. Not only are we called to honor all people, we're called to love the brotherhood. I want to talk about a very practical way that we can love the brotherhood, not just in our church, but in regards to the universal church as a whole. Uh, The first way I'd invite us to love the brotherhood in our church and outside of the church is to pray for those in our country and pray for those around the world who are struggling with the, the, the decision on whether to participate in civil disobedience or not. Because of their allegiance to Jesus Christ, they're struggling about what to do next. 
I pray for those who, like the woman from Colorado who in December brought before the Supreme Court a challenge to a Colorado law that would force her to be willing to create custom websites for same-sex weddings if she also designs them for weddings between a man and a woman. This is a tough decision to make. Pray for individuals like that. Pray for the persecuted church around the world who has, to, who, who has to hide in regards to expressing their faith and expressing their worship. I read this this week. Nick Ripkin in an article wrote, 70% of the church lives in areas where persecution is common. Uh, persecution is not common here. 30% of the world, like us, we're among the, 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 a small number, in comparison to the rest of the world, we are not persecuted here, but 70% of the church is. One believer living in persecution said this, there are parts of the human body that you can see, your arms, legs, chest, and head. This describes the visible, open, western church. Equally important to the body are the parts you cannot see, your lungs, heart, liver, and spleen. This describes the church in persecution. We're all parts of the same body. One part might live in environments with more freedom while other parts experience persecution as normal. We're reminded here in our text that we're called to love the brotherhood by being aware that there is persecution going on around the world, that we should pray for them, that we should partner with them, that we should send out missionaries to the ends of the earth to go about completing the mission that God has called us to. What's neat about areas of persecution, it doesn't sound like it, but areas of persecution are often the areas where the gospel spreads the quickest. Because we have the comforts of the world around us, the, the American church, we're comfortable. We got our air-conditioned rooms, we got our heated rooms, we're pretty comfortable, but, 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 but when we feel the outside pressures of the world around us, that really tests whether or not we are genuine, authentic disciples of Jesus Christ. If we're truly gonna deny ourselves, if we're gonna take up our cross and we're going to follow after him, love the brotherhood inside our church, but those who are scattered throughout the world. 70% of Christians, if this statistic is right, are in areas of persecution. So love the brotherhood. And then it says, fear God. Fear God. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. <laughs> we're reminded that we're not to fear governing officials. We are to fear the Lord by adopting an attitude of respect and honor that is due his name. Our allegiance belongs to him and to him alone. But as we fear God and as we honor the Lord, we honor those whom he has appointed. And the last one is honor the king. This morning, if I could give you the biggest takeaway of our text, it's lead others to Christ by means of your witness in regards to how you relate to governing authorities. Submit first to God, and as you submit to God, submit to those whom God has appointed as well. As much as possible, obey the law. As much as possible, pay your taxes. As much as possible, honor all people. Fear the Lord, love the brotherhood, and honor the king. And that's a great way to share our testimony before a lost world around us. But let me conclude with this this morning. This message is not for you if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ this morning. 
You cannot fully obey the command to submit to the authorities God has appointed until you first submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to end this message by inviting you, if you've never submitted your life, submitted everything to the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do that. To do that this morning, all you have to do is to begin by saying, Lord, I need you to admit this morning that you were born into this world broken, sinful, and separated from a holy God. If you will admit this morning that you were born broken, sinful, and separated from a holy God, the next step is to say, Lord, I admit that you are the solution to the problem. That you were unwilling to allow sin to have the final say on my eternity because the fact that we are sinful, broken, and separated from God means that we will spend an eternity without God and his people forever and ever. But God said, I'm not going to allow that to have the final word on your life. But you have an opportunity that if you trust in Jesus, God became man, dwelt among us, died on a cross for our sins, lived a perfect life so that he could die a substitutionary death, that if you put your hope and your trust in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, he will forgive you of your sins and grant you everlasting life. Are you looking for the joy that can only be found in the Lord? Turn to Jesus. We often say there's a, there's a hole in each of our hearts that can only be filled with one thing. You can try to fill it with success. You can try to fill it with a relationship, even uh, in your family, in a marriage, but that can only be filled and satisfied with a personal relationship with Jesus. Come to Jesus. Allow him to bridge the gap and spend eternity with God and his people forever. Can we pray? Father, we thank you this morning that we can gather together as believers, reminded that our number one desire and goal is to honor our God, to submit to him in all things. We admit today, Jesus is the lighthouse. He guides, directs, and, and, and alters the course of our lives in all things. So Father, this morning we come to you with a desire to submit to Christ. If there's someone here this morning who's heard the truth of the gospel I pray that they can, in this moment, uh, express it in their hearts or out loud in regards to a faith that is genuine, to say this, Father, I recognize my need for you. I know I'm sinful, I'm broken, I'm separated from a holy God, but I know that's why Jesus came. He came to die on a cross for my sins, and today I make Jesus my Savior to forgive me of my sins. I make him my Lord, the one I will follow all the days of my life into eternity. Father, I desire to follow Jesus now and forever. Father, I pray for all of us as a church, as believers, that uh, we would be reminders that we are ambassadors of Christ. As we go out into the workplace, as we go out into the world during the week, that we would be reminded that, that we are shining the light of Christ wherever we go. And one of the ways we shine the light is by how we relate to governing authorities. May we as much as possible submit but Lord, when there is the need that we would, knowing according to your word and wisdom, Lord, that you would guide and direct us for what it looks like to walk in civil disobedience. Father, I pray for those who are struggling with that decision. Uh, all around our country, all around our world, I pray for, Father, the persecuted church. 
who find themselves with the pressures of the world all around them. But what a wonderful reminder that we are living stones and we have the resurrection power of Christ living in us. And I pray for the persecuted church that they would take hold of that power, that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power working in them and working through them. Father, I pray this morning as we leave this place that we would be empowered by that same power, that you would allow us to make an impact and a difference in the world around us. Father, we thank you for, these, for your word and we thank you for these things and we ask it all in Jesus' name, amen.